Hey, Gray, where are you? Hi, Mike. I am in North Carolina now. Start of the summer of fun. It's, no, it's not a summer of fun. Where'd you get a summer of fun from? This is this is not a thing. Mm-hmm. What it is is a hashtag summer of vastly more travel than I would like not fun. That's that's the summer hashtag. Uh, that's what's think, occurring here. I don't think you understand how hashtags work. Wait, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> it's a little long. It's a little on the long side. <laughs> I think I, I think I'm I'm fantastic at hashtags. Someone will use that hashtag. Well, they will now. Someone's having that summer too. They'll <laughs> use that hashtag. There'll be a little group of people who are uh, you know also having summers of many travels and and not fun, discussing them on a hashtag. That's how it works. I use Twitter. I know how the Twitter works, Mike. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. But yes, for the moment, for the moment, uh, I am visiting my parents in North Carolina, and I am talking to you from my temporary recording studio means cortexmas is on the way oh yeah uh summer cortexmas one of the six annual cortexmas is coming up very Why shortly it grow it multiplies when is that coming up i don't know what, what i forget when is that one? i think it's in august sometime okay so you want the people to know that there's going to be a missing episode in august i i feel like i have to tell them <laughs> i know you would prefer to just never tell them but I, I want the listener to know. I think you should not tell them. I think people should just be surprised when it's Cortexmas. You never know when it's going to be Cortexmas. I don't think it's a surprise <laughs> if something doesn't arrive. I don't think like, ooh, surprise, no episode. <laughs> I don't think people think like that. Well, I mean, we know we know there's the regular, right? There's there's Christmas Cortexmas, mm-hmm. of course, right? There's a summer Cortexmas. And then and then there are, you know, maybe eight to ten random Cortexmases throughout the year. There are many attempts at more Cortexmases around the year. But Mike always pulls me back, people. <laughs> I'm always trying to eke an extra Cortexmas out of Mike. <laughs> you know, innocently messaging him. And now it's like, oh, no, we're going to record a show today. So I'm recording a show today with you. And I'm very happy to be here, Mike. I'll tell you something I was very happy about. Um, in the Reddit from the last episode, uh, many people who had applied for the animation illustration position um, in mm-hmm. CGB Grey Industries, uh, were posting their videos in the mm-hmm. Reddit thread, which was really cool. So there's a bunch in there. I'll include a couple of links in the show notes to some threads where you'll find some of the videos that were put in the in the Reddit. Uh, and it was just mm-hmm. really interesting to see the different takes that people had, um, and I really liked it. So I'll encourage anybody else to to post in the Reddit. Uh, their videos that, that they submitted if they're interested in sharing them because it was really cool to see. And also I think considering how much we've spoken about this and, you know, you've kind of gone through the process, I think it adds a lot of context to kind of the way that it's going through and maybe people can, can draw alliances to the type of thing you're looking for by looking at what maybe didn't get through. I think it's really interesting to see how it's evolving. I was kind of surprised at how much interest uh, there was around this. But yeah, I saw a whole, a whole bunch of people were seemed to be having fun, uh, you know, posting those applications and, and talking about them. I, I even saw people were like, you know, it, it was like a little, a little group of people who were also each critiquing uh, yeah. the applications and like giving feedback. The internet always surprises me in, in, in these ways. And, th- and this is one of those times of like, oh, this, there was a lot, of, a lot of interest in this and a lot of interesting discussion. Uh, so yes, if, if you are listening to Cortex, presumably this is a thing that is probably of interest to you since you're, you've stuck with, uh, stuck with us through whatever it is so far, two or three episodes of me talking about hiring a person. Uh, so yeah, if you, uh, if you want to see a bit more of the behind the scenes of that, Mike will put the appropriate links in the show notes. 
whilst we're talking about uh, other people promoting something that they're doing, I would like to promote something that I'm doing. So I have a, I have a new project um, that I wanted to let the Cortex listeners know about, Gray. I have a question, Mike. Mm-hmm. Is it a podcast? It is a podcast. How really? could you have guessed? How could you have guessed? Uh, I have to say, it seems quite out of character for you to <laughs> be starting a new podcast. It seems I, I'm very surprised by this. It's a show called Ungeniused, and Ungeniused explores weird and wonderful Wikipedia articles. So this is me and my Relay FM co-founder, Stephen Hackett. We did this show together in like 2011. It was our first ever show together, and we decided to bring it back for a new season. Uh, and when you listen to Ungeniused, you will gain uh, some interesting knowledge about things you'll probably never use again. <laughs> Fantastic. That's what we promise. <laughs> the first episode is about Action Park, which is probably the most dangerous water park in US history. Oh. But that's all I'm going to say for now. But I, I want to know more. I want to know more right now. Where do I need to go for this? Relay.fm slash Ungeniused. And there will be a link in our show notes too. All right. Go check it out, listeners. It's a fun show. It's something uh, kind of different for us. Uh, I really I really, I really, enjoy making it, and I think people will enjoy listening to it. We've got some really weird stuff in the pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do have to say, uh, I, I've seen a little bit of the the behind the scenes stuff, and I can see like you put you put a lot of work into this one, and it sounds super interesting. What I what I want to know, Mike, is how on earth do you have time in your schedule for another podcast? How many how many podcasts is this now in total that you do? Eight, maybe. <sighs> Eight, maybe. Well, I, I forget the number. One, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nine that can't be right one no list them, list them out mike do the shows right. what, what are the shows what do you do analog okay analog bonanza bonanza connected connected cortex cortex remaster remaster the pen addict the pen addict thoroughly considered thoroughly considered ungenius ungenius an upgrade an upgrade okay so that's nine podcasts that's a lot. It's a lot. But it's my job. This is what I do for a living. Oh, is it? <laughs> Believe it or not. I did not I did not realize that. That's a, that, that's amazing. I don't know I don't know how you do it. Uh, I am super impressed that you are able to do as as many as you do. And uh, I enjoy listening to a whole bunch of them and uh, I'm glad you make them and I just I just don't know how you do it. I'm very impressed. And there's yet another one. <laughs> yeah, another one. And there's more on the way. <laughs> more on the way. Can't stop, won't stop. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code CORTEX at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace puts all of the power you need into your hands and takes away the pain points like worrying about hosting, scaling, and what to do if you get stuck. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level, no coding required. You'll be able to make your site look exactly how you want. And Squarespace isn't just a pretty face. They also have state-of-the-art technology to power your site to ensure security and stability. They're trusted by millions of people and some of the most 
most respected brands in the world. But this is just getting started. Squarespace has a ton of awesome features like 24-7 support with live chat and email. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland who are there to help you whenever you need it. They have a commerce platform, so if you're selling stuff, you can do that super easily with Squarespace and so much more that is not possible to mention in the time of this ad. So if you are looking for a place to start a website, I can personally recommend Squarespace. It's what I run my websites on. It's what you should run your websites on. So once again, go to squarespace.com to get started today with your no credit card required trial. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code Cortex to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for this show. Thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode and for supporting all of Relay FM. Just before we started recording today, you tweeted something that hmm? piqued my interest immediately. It was a photograph of two Apple devices, one on top of the other. One of them is an interesting color. It's the space gray color, and it's mm-hmm. a MacBook. Mm-hmm. You've bought a MacBook. I have bought a MacBook. Okay. A MacBook One. The MacBook One. The little tiny one with the single USB port. I'm recording on it right now as we speak. Oh my. I finished setting it up a mere hour ago before we started. <laughs> so did you like forget to bring a Mac or something <laughs> on your trip here? Uh, I didn't bring a Mac on my trip. I had this shipped to my parents' house waiting for me because Apple stuff is way cheaper in America. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to get one of these. And so I thought, well, it'd be foolish to buy it in the UK, and I won't need it till I'm in my parents' house, and I'm recording a podcast with Mike. So I just had it shipped in advance, waiting for me in a little box, and then finished setting it up this morning so that I could be recording this podcast with you right now. Why did you buy this? Why did you want one? I mean, you have a MacBook Pro, right? Okay, yeah, I I have a MacBook Pro. Hey, look, uh, no judgment. I have two iPads, right? Like, I'm just asking. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. I, d- I, don't feel, I don't feel judged. But uh-huh. what, I, what I feel is, is I posted this because, like, okay, so I got the, 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 this little MacBook One, and I brought with me on my travels my uh, 12.9-inch iPad Pro. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny when you unbox the MacBook One next to an iPad Pro because it's a tiny little thing. It's... It's a weird moment when you realize, wait a minute, I own an iPad that is significantly bigger than my laptop, than my Mac laptop. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a weird little moment. Yeah. And so I, I just, I thought like, oh, this is, this is kind of interesting that these two, like the size difference in these two things, it's, it feels like a bizarre crossover moment in technology. Uh, like this, like this should never happen. But here we are. Like we're through the looking glass, people. iPads are bigger than Macs, and so I just thought, oh, let me take a picture of this. Like I thought this was kind of interesting. As always with these things on Twitter, it seemed like a surprising reaction from just a bunch of people who were like, "What the hell is going on? Like what is happening? What's this craziness? Like why would anybody do this?" And so, as always with this stuff, I just find myself surprised that what. From my perspective, seemed like, oh, I just thought about some stuff for the summer and I made a little decision and I got a piece of equipment. And then there's, there seems to be like people freaking out and like rioting in the streets about like, why is this happening? I don't understand. Explain it to me. And I feel like I don't, I don't know what to explain. It's all, it's all quite reasonable from my perspective. I think part of it comes from the fact that this is a controversial computer, right? Um, that, you know, it has the single USB-C port, which is kind of weird and not widely supported and adopted. It's super mm-hmm. thin and it's has been underpowered and is a little better now and it's um 
it's just a strange computer in many ways. The keyboard is different, and not, not a lot of people like it. So mm. just seeing uh, seeing anybody buy this machine over the last few months that it's been available has just mm-hmm. always been like a hmm what is your reason for this mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so that is why it's interesting to me especially because a lot of the stuff that you do on a mac takes m- m- probably more computing power than this thing comfortably gives mm-hmm. because you use a mac now for very specific tasks right we've outlined this on the show making mm-hmm. videos recording podcasts and playing games and I mm-hmm. don't think that this computer would be really good at any of those things. <laughs> so, like, partly when I wanted to talk to you about this, I just wanted to check that you knew that. <laughs> oh, yeah? Did, did you think maybe I was like, I just didn't know what I was even buying. I just went, ooh, shiny, Doopy right? doopy doo. <laughs> Look how small and light. I like that. <laughs> so, first of all, I, I was perfectly aware of this. Okay, so good. Let me... Let me uh, let me let me walk you through this. All right, so uh, I, I actually I was um, in preparation for the summer, which I've been dreading for months and, and referenced many times. Like I have the summer of just a ton of flights and family stuff, and, and and just like so much travel occurring that I'm I'm just exhausted thinking about it. You know, and tallying up how many how many flights I'm going to do, and also thinking that the course of this summer is essentially that I'm I have pretty much three months in a row of a very heavy constant travel mm-hmm. so I'm go- I'm going to be moving around a lot right uh, and I've been thinking about and, and preparing for this in a whole bunch of ways of trying to think about how can I make this summer as tolerable as possible but and and also a, a question of okay I know that I am going to in one way, because I'm doing so much stuff, I have to ramp down some of the work that I'm doing. Like I can't keep up my normal work schedule and then also add on top of it, like all of this, this travel and and like family obligations and things like it's just, it's just not possible, but I still, but I do need to do some work, like what's happening at this very moment. Like we're recording an episode of the podcast, stuff still needs to happen. And so I was, I've been thinking about it for a while about like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I was kind of running through all of the pieces of software that I use and and I was essentially working on an article trying to outline a bunch of these thoughts and in the process of of writing that article I came to the conclusion of I I know what I can do. I I have a solution for this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to buy the MacBook 1 and bring that with me as my work computer for a few very specific tasks and while it is not the most powerful computer i did test out the thing that matters most to me which is podcasting on the road is is this a machine that can do podcasting on the road and so what i actually did was um i uploaded a couple of audio files to a private and anonymous dropbox url and then I went into an Apple store and I went to one of the uh, MacBook ones that they had on the table oh. and I downloaded those files and was doing some audio editing with them in the store on the MacBook just to make sure, like, can I do this? Can this machine comfortably handle doing audio? 
And like, it doesn't have to be the fastest thing. It doesn't have to export these things, you know, at, at, at the drop of a hat. But can I edit audio without it stuttering? Can it just handle all of this stuff? And it handled it completely fine. And I was looking at some of the CPU numbers on it about like how powerful is this compared to previous computers that I own. And while people talk about how it's super slow, but I also look back at some of the old computers I, I owned and realize, yes, but I, you know, I've made videos on computers that were way slower than this thing currently is. Yeah, it did just get a lot better for the record. Like a lot of the complaints about its its underperformance were when it was originally released. Yeah, and and the new one is is better, but it's you know something like twenty percent better. You know, yeah. yeah, it's 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 still it's still not like a top of the line computing machine. It's not that. But but as always with thinking about work, right, and and thinking about the way that we're doing stuff, like what I'm always trying to look for is what is the appropriate tool for the task at hand. And this machine really seemed to just fit perfectly as an appropriate tool for the task at hand. Because I was looking at my brick of obligation, my 15-inch 30 pound MacBook Pro and I thought I will not bring you anywhere machine yeah. right especially with the knowledge that like what I'm doing today that over the course of the summer the number of times I'm going to need and open this machine is maybe once or twice a week like I do not want to have to bring this incredible heavy bulky big thing in what I'm trying to make, like the smallest, lightest possible suitcase that I can bring with me everywhere that I go. So it's like, I want to maximize for travelness. And this machine has adequate power to do the things that I need it to do. And if it, if I have to let it run for half an hour to export an episode of a podcast because it doesn't do it super fast, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I can just let it run. All that matters is when I'm using it, it doesn't stutter. And, and it seemed to, it seemed to be the case. And even some of the complaints that people had about this computer, about, say, like the, the keyboard. And while I don't love the keyboard, it doesn't matter because... You don't write on it. Exactly. Doing podcasting or if I'm doing a little bit of animating or illustrating, I'm not using the keyboard, right? It's like I have... Uh, I brought my MX wireless mouse with me to use as an input device for this. Like, I'm not going to use the keyboard. The keyboard for my work is just a row of buttons that happen to do things. If I'm going to type something, I'm going to take out my lovely iPad Pro and I'm going to write something on that because I love that keyboard and like and that thing is absolutely fantastic. So even though it, it seemed kind of strange, I came to the conclusion that this pair of machines, my big iPad and now a tiny little adorable MacBook is actually a fantastic working pair for me if I'm going to be doing a lot of travel and you know I've, I've just you know was just setting it up and just playing around with it a little bit and so far it's like this is great like this this thing seems like it's 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 well suited to the task and I just I absolutely love how small it is so uh so far I'm a, I'm a big fan big fan of the MacBook adorables I've gotten close to doing this exact thing multiple times for the exact same reasons that I am about to go on a trip and I'm going to be taking my MacBook Pro with me in case of podcast editing emergencies. And I couldn't be less happy about this scenario. Yeah. Because I'm taking my 9.7 inch iPad Pro and this like huge honking piece of metal with me. Right. 
which feels like comparatively it weighs a million pounds, right? <laughs> it really does. Because I wouldn't even know my iPad was in my bag. It really does. <laughs> so I've considered this for the same reason of like, honestly, now I only use a MacBook when I travel for podcast editing. So mm-hmm. really, I need a computer that is more suited to that exact task. So mm-hmm. thin and light is exactly what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. But I've held off on the MacBook. I was going to get one, I thought to myself, when they were revved. So the one that you mm-hmm. just bought. So it would be a bit more powerful. But now there are like rumors on the horizon of the new MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. And basically, if that is much thinner and much lighter than what I've currently got, it's going to be an improvement, even if it's not the thinnest and lightest. Right. And it will also have the power that I'm used to. So I'm going to wait to see what that looks like, but Mm -hmm. I'm considering doing the same thing because I think if anybody can draw some kind of like overall feeling that me and you both have, and you know, people say that that I seem to agree with you a lot. It's because I'm super reasonable, that's why. Of course. I think if we just think about some things in the same way, and one of those things that me and you really seem to agree on a lot is having the right tool for the right job. Yeah. And the MacBook Pro that I have right now is not the right tool for the right job because Mm. it is big and heavy because it's powerful, right? It has the maximum power, but I don't need maximum power. I need maximum portability now. Right. Because I'm only using this machine when I am away from home. So I need the best machine for traveling. So if the new MacBook Pro, the thin and light MacBook Pro, isn't thin enough and light enough, then I will go the MacBook route. What you say there, it makes me think of of the sunk cost fallacy of where people overvalue investments that they have made in the past uh, for a thing that they are working on when thinking about decisions today. And so the, the, like the way you think about it is you and I have each in the past bought MacBook Pros because I got mine two summers ago when I was when I was looking at a similar thing of like, I am going to be away for the summer, but my work was also relatively different then and I was planning on doing a significant amount of work and it's like, okay, well, this machine is the best machine at that time to, to get. I'm going to be working on it a bunch. I'm going to be doing a bunch of animating. Like I was using it as a primary production machine back then. So it's like, okay, so I got that whatever it was two years ago, I think. And I own that machine. And so in some ways, it feels foolish to just get another tiny laptop. But it's it's a case of sunk cost fallacy. If I didn't own that MacBook Pro, and I was standing in an Apple store, laptopless, and looking around and thinking, what is the best computer for me to take with me this summer? There's no way I would pick that MacBook Pro, right? It wouldn't even it wouldn't even be in the running as a possible machine to take, and, and that's an example of like trying to to reframe decision making in the context of now and like what are the what are the resources available now? What are the requirements for what you need now? What is the best solution to solve this problem now? And like don't get don't get distracted by the sunk cost fallacy of like, oh, I used to do things this way, right? Or I happen to have this this equipment currently. It's like, no, no. What is the solution now that is the optimal solution for this problem? And as you mentioned, I think it just occurred to me, but maybe one of the reasons why people are, you know, seemed on Twitter to have a surprising amount of reaction to 
uh, to me posting this was like, was as you said, this is, we're recording this probably literally days before Apple might be announcing new MacBook Pros. Like it seems very likely that they're going to announce new MacBook Pros at WWDC. And it vaguely crossed my mind, but but that was also a case of, well, if they announce new MacBooks, that, that still doesn't, that doesn't help me this summer, right? <laughs> Even if I yeah. could literally go to WWDC and Tim Cook was handing out MacBook Pros to everybody and it's like, I'm going to fly to WWDC, like, and Tim's going to hand me a MacBook Pro, right? Like, even if I could get MacBook Pros on day one, it doesn't change the fact that, well, there's some things that I need to do before their announcement, right? It's just like, well, I, I need a computer now yeah. for, for things yeah. that happen this week. And if I bring my MacBook Pro, that means I'm traveling with this MacBook Pro for uh, at least five weeks before I come to a break where I could like swap over machines. It's like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So I, it's, yeah, I think you're right. It is, it is a case of trying to think about what is, what is the best tool for the job available. And even though it's a, it's like a, it's a funny little machine and there's a bunch of complaints about it. I, I think it, I think it is, is the best solution for me right now. And also thinking about the future of my work. You know, we talk a lot about how we have both been transitioning to iPad Pros and doing more and more of our work on there. And I've, I've been thinking about that a lot. But the one thing that I wonder, you know, even a year or two from now that I might not ever be able to get away from is doing podcasting on a Mac for a variety of reasons. Like, I'm very curious to see if that's a thing that I can ever get rid of. And I'm not super convinced that that I will be able to do that. And and so I, I wonder if this is just going to end up being my new working solution for a very long time in the same way that I used to have a Mac desktop and a laptop that I would work with, that now my my default computer setup will be the biggest iPad I can bring with me and the smallest Mac that I can bring with me. And now this is just for the next couple of years maybe the default traveling situation i wonder this whole scenario is one of the best and worst things about doing the type of work that we do which is creating things that are a part of the internet mm -hmm. because what happens is you end up moving with the times and as computers become more powerful the type of work that we do on them becomes more complex Mm -hmm. So you end up in a scenario where your workflows are changing and the tools are changing around you. So mm. you buy new ones and you adapt and you change, which is why we spend so much money on this stuff. But it's because we both see it as a necessary thing to get the work done in the best, fastest, most productive way. The interesting and the difficult part about being self-employed is again like just talking about you know getting this machine it relates to a bunch of our conversations in the past about how when you are on your own and when it is just you you are responsible for building the environment around you right and 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 that environment is is things like what are the email clients that you're using, for example, right? Or how do you arrange your calendar? Or how do you think about routines? Or what are the tools that you're you're using? 
because there, there's nobody else who's saying, welcome to giant corporate co enjoy using outlook express forever. And that's just not a decision that you make. Mm-hmm. It's like every, every tiny bit about the working world and the environment that you are operating in is under your control, which is amazing, but it is also your responsibility and obligation to continually reevaluate as part of your job. I think it's really interesting that there's there's this phenomenon. I don't have a better way to describe it. It's how I noticed that things can become invisible to people, like things that are just either the way they do stuff or objects in their environment. It's like if, if you're, for example, like with this laptop of, of, a, of having an old MacBook Pro, it's like the MacBook Pro can in a way become an invisible thing that you just don't think about or you just don't reevaluate. And I feel that way about routines and about all kinds of tools that it is in the course of human life, right? It is, it is just valuable to consciously cast the eye of your mind and the, the focus of your attention on all of the aspects of your life because these things just become invisible and they become normal and you don't reevaluate them and you don't think... If I was starting anew today, is this the way that I would set up things? Like, is the way that I'm currently doing things now the most effective way to work? It's it's just very, very useful to consciously refocus your mind on these things from time to time. And it's, it is not easy to do. Like, it, it's not easy to do, but I, I think it is a useful endeavor, and it's partly why... You and I do this show together, and we, you know, we, we talk for many hours about in some sense, seemingly minor decisions about which, which tool is the best under, under which circumstances. But it's because we, we are both aware of this thing of like rethink your environment, rethink your tools, rethink the way that you do things, and just look about for if there is a better way to do what you are currently doing. I think it's like we work adjacent to an, an industry that is constantly moving and evolving Mm-hmm. that's it, true it's very beneficial for us to remain nimble and be willing to adapt and change so we're actually able to look at and and, and work with and, and around the industry that we're focused on mm. at least that's what i tell myself when i'm spending 500 pounds in the apple store <laughs> <laughs> whatever you gotta do man whatever, whatever you, you gotta, gotta do, do. <laughs> I do have one thing to say, Mike, about this MacBook Adorable. Is that what we're calling it now? Well, it's adorable. It it's is. Like, it is. I like it, though. You know, but it, it's like, I, I just, it's so funny because I just keep thinking, like, look at this big, powerful, like, iPad Pro. It's such a beast. Like, it's an amazing yep. work machine. Yep. And then and then next to it, it's like, oh, look at that adorable little Mac. Oh, look at that little guy. Do you know that's how I feel about my 9.7-inch iPad? I have more <laughs> feelings towards it because he's so little. Right. There, um, slight tangent here, but I remember reading years ago that this is an actual human cognitive bias, that humans are more forgiving of problems with objects that are smaller than objects that are bigger, just inanimate objects. 
so that if a thing that is a smaller physical object doesn't work perfectly, humans are much more likely to forgive it than a big object that doesn't work perfectly. Hmm. <laughs> so, but it's like, I can feel this bias in me looking at these two devices. It's like, hey, little guy. Hey, little Mac. You up for recording a podcast today? Like, can you do this? Like, let's give it a go. Like, let's give it a try. Right. Whereas if I was trying to do something on the iPad Pro, the big one, and it didn't work, it'd be like, you need to do this right every time, buddy. Like, come on. We're all, we're all lying on you here. <laughs> you know, it's just like, this is not an appropriate feeling for inanimate objects, but it it's totally is. So along those lines of, hey, buddy, are you up for the podcast today? Uh, the thing that did not occur to me as I was setting up the macbook adorable just this morning finishing before we started is uh that it does only have one port and that one port is connected to my microphone and uh we are rapidly running down the battery on my never fully charged macbook adorable uh so will will we get to the end of the show before my battery runs out stay tuned to find out do we have sufficient time It'll, it'll give me a warning, you know. Uh, Don't you worry, buddy. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. What's next on your list, Mike? Uh, you... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can hear it in your voice. Well, now I've got something to worry about now. No, no, you just don't think about it. What's next? This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. With Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk to do your work. You can manage your task list from your laptop during a meeting, share status updates from your phone as you're leaving the client site, and access the latest version of a file from home. These days, everything is mobile, and your work should be too. Now, you're probably listening to the sound of my voice, possibly at work, and probably while using a terrible, terrible intranet. Igloo is not like that. Igloo allows you to make an intranet feel like a place that you actually want to get work done. It's surprisingly configurable, and you can completely rebrand it to give the look and feel of your team. And as an intranet, it's not separated from the outside world. Igloo also integrates with services like Box, Google Drive, and Dropbox. So if you're at a company right now with an intranet that you just cannot stand to use, you want to go find whoever is in charge of making this decision and tell them about Igloo. And when you do, tell them to sign up at igloosoftware.com slash cortex so Igloo knows where you came from. It's time to escape that internet that you hate. Go to Igloo right now and you can use it for free for any team of up to 10 people as long as you like. igloosoftware.com slash cortex. And thanks so much to Igloo for supporting Cortex and all of Relay FM. You recently put out a new video, which was a kind of different style, different kind of even from a business perspective type of uh crossover video with oh. in a nutshell Kurtz Gazette we talk uh long-time listeners will remember me and you trying to pronounce this uh channel quite some time ago mm -hmm. and you put together a, a video about the left brain and right brain which people should go and definitely watch but rather than talking about the video itself um i'm interested in why and how this came about, this like kind of two-part crossover video. So uh, Philip, who is the main writer behind Quartz Gazette, he and I have been sort of colleagues and business associates for a while. Uh, I don't remember exactly how we met in, in the first place, but I don't know. We, we've known each other for maybe about a year and a half at this point. And we had always just vaguely talked about doing some kind of collaboration at, at some stage. And, and like with 
I think with many YouTube creators, you don't necessarily know what it is that you want to do, but it's it's useful just to have it in the back of your mind about is is there an interesting thing uh, that we can do? And so uh, every once in a while, we we would just talk and sort of discuss uh, projects that we were working on. Sometimes because we were trying to make sure we didn't accidentally overlap with each other, uh, <laughs> which did occur sometimes of of like one one or the other of us trying to avoid a topic because we knew that the other one was doing it. Uh, because it's like, well, we don't we don't want to get messed up with that of uh, you know releasing a video the day after on the same thing. But at, at some point, we eventually came across these two topics, one of which is about how your mind may be composed of these separate, autonomous, smaller elements. And then he was thinking about a, a video about how your physical body is composed of these separate, autonomous, smaller elements that like exist in and of themselves. And and as we were talking about it, we realized, oh, this is actually, this is nice. Like, these are related, like they're two sides of the same coin. They're, they both are touching on the notion of how you as a person are not as singular as you think you are. Uh, like, you are a combination of, of a bunch of smaller things that can exist independently of what you think of as you. And so we, we were talking about this and thought, oh, this this is nice. Like, this this works very well together. And so... This was actually, we looked it up, the first conversations about this were back in November. Holy moly. And so just to give people the time frame, uh, the final videos were uploaded at the end of May. And we were working on those videos uh, for that length of time, you know, doing other projects at the same time, but this was in the works. And uh, these things can sometimes take quite a long time to go from initial discussion to final, uh, final completed output. I think from the style of your videos, for very different reasons. Oh, yes? Why do you say that? Uh, there is a level of uh, animation in the Kotzkazat videos, which is uh, very different to yours, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think that you are a one-man band, mm -hmm. um, and I believe that there are multiple people that work on the Kotzkazat videos. Yeah, there's a big team that works on those things. Uh, there, an, an ungodly amount of human hours goes into the development of those videos, and it certainly shows in the animation. I was watching the videos, and there are like these parts where they, they create these like mythical beasts, as it were, mm -hmm. that, that are these like part animal, part robotic beasts, mm -hmm. I guess. And the amount of tiny detail and movement mm -hmm. on, I just can't believe it. I cannot believe how this stuff exists on youtube it doesn't make sense in my brain mm -hmm. the quality is insane and that's what it means like the difference is there's a team uh, who making incredibly complex things and then there's just you who's making things that are difficult to make for just one person right and that's mm -hmm. probably yeah. why it ends up taking even though they're very different the same amount of time mm -hmm. yeah that that's exactly it like the 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 course gazette path was a much straighter line than yep. was the when than was the production of mine uh, because as, as a slight behind the scenes thing, it was at some point in very late February, I took the script that I had been working on for that whole length of time. So from November until late February, and I was walking around and I was thinking about the video and then it crossed my mind about how to do the thing that I eventually did, which was to film it from a first-person perspective as a way to try to explain some of the complicated things that are going on. And once that idea came into my head, I thought, oh, 
This is a really great way to explain this phenomenon that is otherwise difficult to explain. But if I'm going to film myself doing these things, I need to throw out everything that I've written so far. This, this whole script just does not work Holy at all moly. if this is the way that I'm going to explain this. And so I started over, right? I started brand new over, uh, essentially halfway through the collaboration between the two of us because it's like, nope, <laughs> this script won't work if I do it this way. Start again. <laughs> Select all, delete, and start typing. <laughs> this is a super pedantic question, but mm-hmm. I have a good reason for it. You didn't really start over again, though, did you? Like, I, I know what you mean, but all of the work that you'd done to that point was useful in helping you create the final product faster. Yeah, that is true, right? I mean, like, if you would have had this idea in November, it may have still taken you that amount of time to make it. No, you, you are totally right. And, like, for example, I didn't have to redo the research. Right? Exactly. Like that, yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't occur. The, re- the reason I say it just, I'm, like, I'm starting over is. Because as we have discussed before, that my writing process is really very largely an editing and re-editing process. Mm-hmm. And so that, that that's the thing that I mean. Like, I know that even if I'm thinking about doing it this way, I have to do just a ton of drafts before it it becomes a thing. Yeah. It is basically new text file kind of start yeah. over, yeah. right? Yeah. And it was, it was really interesting because, uh, again, in, in working with Philip... You know, he saw some of the drafts, you know, we were we were each commenting on the other person's script, you know, trying to help each other along. But he he saw unfold the thing which I always feel when I'm working, but I thought, oh, maybe I'm kidding myself about how basically like this, basically how my script is not very good for the first 15 or 20 drafts. And then it is the last one or two drafts where suddenly I feel like, this is the thing all of a sudden, and now it is good. And it was interesting to kind of get that confirmed from somebody back mm. of like, boy, what did you do between this draft and the last draft? Because suddenly this really feels like a thing. And the previous ones all felt like they were kind of rough. Like, you know, you could film it and it would be fine, but it's not really fantastic. When do you start reading them aloud? I start reading them aloud when there is something to read aloud. So I, I I usually end up writing, depending on depending on the script, something like five thousand words of garbage, let's say, of just like thoughts of of how to explain stuff, and that's that's just largely typing, and I end yep. up with a with that big text file, and then that is the point where I just start reading those notes aloud in in my office, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with my standing desk and the thunder, and. The, that's right, and the thunder. Mm-hmm. I was actually you put this you put this idea in my mind, Mike. <laughs> I can't get rid of about being like you know in some sort of evil lair because the uh, <laughs> when I was working on this at one point, I re- I saw myself like through your eyes as though you would be standing there and like oh this is slightly uncomfortable. It's like I am standing in a room, I am reading out loud a script that has to do with horrific brain surgery that's been done to people. Right. I'm making gestures with my hands about how I think this is going to go on the screen as I am reading out loud, as I am playing thunder sounds. And I was also playing like this classical violin album of Bach recordings. No, I was like for a moment. It's like I see what I must look like to Mike. In this, in this Let moment. me talk about your brains. <laughs> yeah, it's just, 
there's someone inside you working <laughs> right. against you. Yeah, I'm, like I'm moving my hands and like there's this there's this music in the thunder and it's like maybe Mike has a point. <laughs> maybe Mike has a point about what he said. You know, like I imagine someone wants to just come in to check something, right? They just open the door, like just to peek in, you know, to right. say, I don't know, oh, there's cake in the lobby. And right. they just like back away. <laughs> maybe that happened. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Because, yeah, I basically, I wondered if, like, there is a correlation between you reading what you have allowed and the script getting good. Yeah, it, uh, but I do, um, I, I would say easily more than half of the drafts are done in this semi-allowed stage or completely allowed stage. Okay. And it's, but it's like, I don't know what it is, but I can just feel towards the end when something finally clicks of like this is the rhythm like this is the exact way a surprising thing that often happens is like the very last draft i will radically move around a bunch of paragraphs like the paragraphs might not change but i'll suddenly realize like oh these are all in the wrong order why why on earth was i ever writing them in this order like i've been writing them in this order for months this doesn't make any sense this one has to go at the beginning not at the end these two have to go together this one in the middle i can just take this whole thing out and it's like boom suddenly it just kind of gels I understand that because, you know, every now and then uh, I will have some kind of flash of an idea when editing a show. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I could put the girl from Ipanema in here. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, this is a great, like, I get it. It's like you just have these, like, random flashes of, of ideas and then everything just starts to fall into place. Yeah. And and the having someone else see the drafts as I was doing them, it was it was just interesting to have it confirmed back to me that, it's not in my imagination that this thing is occurring. Like somebody else sees it and somebody else comments that suddenly it's way better and I don't know why. And it's like, yes, that's right. P- perfect. Like, great. Now it's ready to go. I thought it was ready to go. And you agree that this final thing is suddenly much better. I am not, I am not crazy. Like, I'm not imagining that it takes this long. Like, someone else sees that I do need to go through all of these revisions before it becomes the final thing that I'm, I'm ready and happy to record. So it's an interesting process. Considering the changes that you're currently embarking on in your production process, mm. what did it feel like to work so closely with someone? Well, it was, it was, just, it was just interesting to have the, the feedback back and forth on, on what we were doing. Yep. I, I would say like this, this was, in the YouTube world, people talk about collaborations, right? And doing collaboration videos all the time. And I didn't use that word for what we were doing. I kept using the word crossover. The, like what we're doing here is like a crossover video. Yeah. So we, we weren't deeply collaborating. And that's what made that word feel like the wrong word. Like I was not popping up in the middle of a Kurtzkazat video and being like, hey. Or you weren't narrating that one or something. Yeah, yeah. Like it, we, we weren't doing those reverse kind of things. Um, Personally, I think those things are very hard to do. I have seen a few that are absolutely amazing. And uh, I will always hold up the um, Destin from Smarter Every Day and Derek of Veritasium. They did a crossover video on the Coriolis effect that I, th- I think I will forever hold up as the most, the most amazing example of, of collaborating with another person. Like they, they did two videos that each really depends on the other one. Uh, they did this fantastic thing with the timing of the videos. It's really quite an achievement what they did. And like that is an amazing collaboration video. 
but lo lots of collaboration videos, I sometimes feel like people are just in somebody else's video just to be there. And when I watch them, it feels like, is this adding or is this like, is this like a little jarring moment? Like the, the feeling suddenly changes. And so we didn't think that this topic lent itself to true collaboration. And so that's why I was always using the word crossover of at the end, we are crossing over that each topic forms a nice little circle of this one leads into that one and that one leads into this one. So it makes sense for each of us to point to the other at the end. Uh, and so I think it, it was interesting to do. Uh, it's always stressful trying to time something with another person as well, especially because we have vastly different production cycles and, and it's like, okay, well, we, we have to release on the same day, but like how long is it going to take for all his animation to happen? How long is it going to take me to come to the end of creating the, the scripts? Like who knows? Who knows how long it's going to take? And when you're trying to coordinate with someone, that stuff is uh, quite stressful. And then, of course, because I am the person that I am, I start immediately worrying like somebody else is working on a split brain video right now and they're going to upload the day before. And it's like, all, all of that stuff is, is yeah, it's, it's, it's high stakes. But uh, it seems to have paid off. The videos are doing very well. I think they're, they're helping each other. So uh, it's definitely worth it. The main reason that people do these types of things is to, I guess, point people to other channels, right? Like, I think that's why the business reason for doing this type of stuff. Oh, yeah. Did you find that to be beneficial? Did the work that you did together, did it pay off? Business-wise, this, this kind of thing is, is very good. And it, it's also one of those cases where, uh, as we have talked about before, in some ways I am, I am this very like spreadsheet-oriented return on investment person. And I should be doing crossover collaboration videos all the time. Right, like the, the spreadsheets would say, like do this every single time, but I, I only want to do it when it feels like it's it's a good topic, like and it and it totally works to do. But you can build a pretty successful YouTube career by intensely collaborating with literally everybody who will do collaborations with you, and and you can see that as a kind of career path on on YouTube uh, sometimes. But uh, I'm just pulling up the numbers here, and so for for people who want to know in terms of of success metrics and subscriber numbers in the 48 hours after the video went up uh, we each gained about 80,000 additional subscribers that's no joke yeah it's a big number uh it's a big number of subscribers also blimey that video's done well looking at the view numbers whoa holy moly yeah it's wow that's this is a big success one yeah, it's 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 done it's done very well. I think you'll find it's holy moly. <laughs> well, <laughs> I've clearly I've made that very clear. <laughs> I haven't looked at it in a while. What is it up to now? Uh, two point four million. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say for comparison for the listeners, so they have a, a a sense of scale. On a on a normal, nothing happens. CGP Grey hasn't uploaded a video in six months or something. It's not six months. <laughs> one day it will be six months. Yeah, one day it will be six months. Uh, hasn't uploaded a video in, in six weeks kind of thing. A normal day is like a thousand subscribers, somewhere in that ballpark. Okay. So this this puts it, you know, sort of, again, ballparking it. It's kind of an order of magnitude, larger, roughly, sort of. Um, so it's it's... Business-wise, like this, this kind of thing is is very good to do. I should, in theory, do it way more than I do, uh, but 
again, just just the way my working cycle is, and and also my my own uh, quite laggy and long production cycles. Like it does make it hard for other people to work with me, and it's it's one of the reasons why. Philip and I could collaborate quite easily because he also has yeah. the same kind of like yeah. very long, very laggy production cycles. So we each, you know, very well understand. We are talking in November. It might be almost half a year until this thing is actually done and up. And that's okay. 2.4 million is a lot of views. Yep. A lot of people watching a video with my hands moving stuff around. <laughs> what a life you lead, huh? It's a little weird to think sometimes. Yeah, it's a, it's a little weird to think. Like I went to Toys R Us. <laughs> yeah, I bought a Kylo Ren mask. <laughs> yeah, got some My Little Ponies, got some Rubik's cubes and some blocks for babies. <laughs> I put it on my business card. <laughs> the guy at the Toys R Us was like, "Are these for you?" I was like, "No, it's a business expense." I don't think he believed me. <laughs> well, because what business is that? <laughs> I know, but that's. I, I was like, I, I like, I could see in his eyes like a little bit of doubt, and I was like, "Why don't you believe me, man?" But walking away, it's like, of course, he has no reason to believe me that I, I need some blocks for babies for business expense. Why would you even ask someone that question? Like, I don't know. how many people goes in go into Toys R Us and buy things for children? Like, isn't that the whole purpose of the store? What a strange thing to ask. I, I don't know. I don't know why. Clerks always ask stuff when you're in stores. I you probably had a weird look on your face, right? <laughs> thanks, you thanks, knew, Mike. You knew you shouldn't be there buying those things, and he could tell. Is that what you think it was? That's what I think it was. Is that why clerks always talk to me everywhere I go, because I have a weird look on my face? Is that what you're saying? You know, like, the idea that magicians, when they're pulling somebody out of the audience, they pull the person who looks the most awkward, right? Like, they can just tell, like, I'm going to get this person because they clearly don't want to do this. I expect mm-hmm. that that's the kind of face that you have when you're interacting with anybody in a retail environment. So mm. people just instinctively want to ask you questions because you look like you don't want to be there. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe, maybe that's why. That's my experience everywhere I go. People want to talk to me about things. <laughs> you need to work on that poker face. <laughs> yeah. But if I am ever at a magic show, I always do my best to give the the guy on stage like a death stare like i will look right into his eyes i mean like i'm I'm thinking thoughts like you don't want to pick me buddy (laughs) right like looking right at him just like blank face i am not your person (laughs) i figure that's like the fastest way to communicate (laughs) every now and then you say something that like the phrase is funny to me and this time was every time i'm at a magic show (laughs) (laughs) how often how often (laughs) This is you're secretly in the magic circle. Nobody knew. <laughs> I, was, I, I was just thinking, like I saw Penn and Teller. Oh, I've wanted to do that. Is that in Vegas? Uh, I saw them when they were in uh, in London a little while ago. That was probably the last magic show that I was at. I would love to see Penn and Teller. Yeah, but I'm also I'm also thinking of like Cirque du Soleil shows and things like that. Like they're all just the same kind of like someone is getting pulled on stage like it's all in my brain it's all filed under like magic show right when they're pulling someone on mm-hmm. a stage like this is what this is uh even if it's clowns at Cirque du Soleil or whatever do you call them clowns I don't think clowns is the right word no Cirque du Soleil has the clowns they always have clowns do they have you seen these shows yeah I don't like clowns and I've never been to Cirque du Soleil okay well don't go that's my recommendation if you don't like clowns don't go I'm not going I don't like the clowns either but it's the same thing of like I want to make them feel like don't pick me buddy 
like, I'm the weirdo in the audience who's looking right at you with a dead, deadpan face. Like, I'm trying to signal that I am not the person you're going to have a fun time with if you pick me. I will be the most resistant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I swear to God, I will. <laughs> I want to signal, like, I will be lots of trouble and no fun for you. Look elsewhere. Look elsewhere. I'm going to push stuff over. <laughs> Today's episode of Cortex is brought to you by Casper, a company focused on sleep. Casper has created the perfect mattress that it sells directly to you, the customer, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. By cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms, they can make their mattresses extremely affordable and with excellent quality. In fact, award-winning quality. The mattress was developed in-house, it has a sleek design and is delivered in an impossibly small box so you can very easily get that mattress from the door to the bedroom. I mentioned award-winning. Time magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. The Casper mattress combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create a mattress that has just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design helps you regulate your temperature throughout the night. In addition to the Casper mattress, Casper now offers an adaptive pillow and soft breathable sheets as well. Typically, mattresses can cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost just $500 for a twin size, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full size, $850 for a queen size mattress, and $950 American dollars for a king. I mentioned America. Casper mattresses are made in America too. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns to the US and Canada with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping and trying a mattress out properly before you commit to it, especially because you're going to be spending a third of your life on it, which is why they have created this free delivery and free return window so you can fully get the experience of a Casper mattress before you decide to let it live in your home. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash cortex and using the code cortex at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their continued support of this very program. So your favorite ever email app, Unibox, has recognized the Cortex love. Yes, yes. I saw uh, this morning, I think, that uh, Unibox put up a very nice little post uh, saying that they heard us talking about the app on the show. And what I really like that they did is they took the time to write out a, a few things discussing some of the, the points that we brought up and, and showing like a few extra tips and tricks for those of you in the audience who are joining me in the Unibox way for the endless wheel of email. Basically, they did a better job of explaining it than we did, <laughs> as they should. But yeah, there's the, the, some of the things that you were trying to help me with. They do a much better job of explaining them. Yeah, re reading reading through their article, I was thinking, oh, that's why Mike and I had such a different experience when we set up our apps. Like, I just happened to press a button, and I didn't even remember. I didn't even think about it. Uh, th there's one thing. There's one thing in there that I really like, which which uh, uh, I was just looking at. It's like, oh, this this totally makes sense is I was talking about being able to 
swipe on just message subjects when we were having the conversation. You were like, that's really weird and confusing. Uh, and and they, were, they very nicely took the time to say, you can swipe anywhere on the message, right? You don't have to swipe on this one little narrow strip. And so I actually just uh, installed it on my phone just to try it. And I was like, oh, wow, I don't use email on my phone. But if you are an email on your phone person, this you can swipe anywhere on the message, anywhere on the screen and perform a couple of actions on, on the message. Like, boy, that would be amazing. Like, If I was an email on the phone guy, this is a fantastic feature. So uh, I wanted to say uh, thanks thanks to the team for writing up some additional information that, that we missed in our attempt to try and explain the app. Thankfully, they were there to help. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, Greg, do you know what time it is? Uh, it is... 1.18 in the afternoon as we are recording this. No, that's correct. That's the answer I was looking for. <laughs> Is that what you're looking for? Yep. Moving Perfect. on. Let's great. do some Ask Cortex. Okay, great. Magnus wrote in, Gray. And Magnus wanted to ask, how does one handle to-do items that are dependent on another person in order to be completed? So Magnus, he, with his job, uh, a large part of it is gathering information from people that are not necessarily directly incentivized to get that information mm. for him. Oh, Magnus. Oh, <laughs> Magnus. I, I love the way you describe that. And boy, have I been there. Um, I was going to say, this sounds like you've got some, some camaraderie here, Mike. <laughs> yep. And Magnus goes on to say, they're not, the, uh, they're not necessarily directly incentivized to give the information, which means that deadlines don't exist to these people. Uh, so mm. how do we handle to-do items that are dependent on other people, whether they're incentivized or not? So we both use OmniFocus. Um, and I know that a long time ago, Gray, you'd mentioned using Wunderlist. Wunderlist. Uh, and I wonder how you continue to, to do this, especially with the expanding organization that is Gray Industries. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. How, how do how do I handle this? Um well first of all, to Magnus, you know, my sympathies go out to you mm-hmm. because as we all know, people are the worst. Yeah. You can't depend on people. They take forever to get back to you. And I include myself in this group. Right? I think I think of poor Mike reaching out to me sometimes, sending me a message. It's like, I'll get back to him later, right? <laughs> like, when does later come? Never. I don't know. Later. It no, don't say never. It comes eventually. Later comes eventually. Uh, so this this is a problem that we all face, and that if we look deep into our own selves, we all sometimes also create. I mean, the, the short answer is. I try to eliminate dependencies on other people as much as possible to minimize this this inevitable problem. Uh, but when I do have something something that I need to keep track of, of like the other person needs to get back to me on this thing, I have a context in OmniFocus that's just called waiting. And this is this is a, a kind of holdover from the strict getting things done implementation days of your that I that I used to do but I find this one little thing is is quite handy of being able to mark in a project like the next step is me waiting on this person to get back to me about a thing and that like that's just my stake in the ground so that I don't forget because I know that I am very likely to forget that I'm waiting on another person for another thing and just totally lose track of it so that that's that's my general catch-all for people that I'm not necessarily formally working with. 
Uh, I still, with my assistant, we do use Wonderlist as a as a shared list to keep a record of all of the various things that we are working on. And uh, she really likes that app. I really like that app. I have to say, I, I highly recommend if you are working in probably a very small team. I, I'm not sure Wonderlist would scale very well to a large team of people. But maybe for, you know, five or less individuals, I think it's a fantastic little app for keeping track of who is doing what. And so I can assign to my assistant, I guess, these little subtasks, these are your responsibility. And then she can go through it and also assign subtasks to me. And it's very easy to see, like, who who is who is the block in moving this project forward? And the answer is, not surprisingly, always, I am. Uh, but at least like it's clear, like we know who is the person uh, that needs to get back about a thing. So I, I really recommend that. Uh, I really recommend that a lot. But to the the later part of his question, I'm much more interested in what Mike does about this because in terms of incentivizing people, I would just have to go like shrug my shoulders like I have I have no idea how to get people to do what you want if they are not incentivized to do that. And so I, I am hoping to learn something from Mike in the very next moment about how to make that happen. The incentivization portion of this is very difficult. If you're working within an organization... Uh-huh. This is like office politics stuff. Yeah, that's the only way you can do it. So in my experience, there are two ways you can incentivize people. You can either be really nice or you can loosely threaten them. <laughs> Is this is this actually your advice? The threat usually comes in the form of whomever has direct line management control. Oh God, is this like the um, the stuff I used to see at schools? Like, let's see, see somebody's boss on this. Like, yes. is that what you mean? Oh, it's the God. only thing to do. Oh. I have found, and I would very it's rarely use this. But sometimes you just got to throw that CC in, man. If that person is refusing to help you and you've been as nice as you can be, sometimes the only thing you can do is get the person who has the ability to directly incentivize good or bad, get involved. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. So I will tell you now, though, I am not in a position to really do that with the people that I need things from. So I go the nice route which is tends to be my default route anyway. Nice guy, Mike. Good cop, Mike. <laughs> Good cop. Good cop. Uh, I'll bug people where I need to, you know, like send them mm -hmm. emails. But, you know, eventually there's only so far you can go. Uh, but I don't, I don't use the CC anymore because it doesn't really work for the type of stuff that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. so the, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Magnus. I will say, though, just from the idea of from a handling tasks perspective, I have tried Wunderlist and I agree that it is actually quite wonderful. But... That's so good. But you, know, you gotta stop that, man. It's awful. <laughs> no, I will never stop. My problem with it is I don't like having multiple to-do apps to check from a dependency perspective. Mm. Now, many people will point out the amount of to-do apps I have on my screen, but they're different things for me. They're like reminders and to-dos. Like my to-dos are all in one task management system, task management system, and that is OmniFocus. Like that is where my stuff needs to be done goes in there things like take out the trash things like remember that tv show is on that sort of stuff lives in due 
right? Mm. Like I see those as different types of things completely. But the things that would go in an application like Wunderlist are like tasks. They are yeah. things that for me mentally live in OmniFocus. So when I'm waiting on somebody to do something for me, I put that in OmniFocus. Mm-hmm. It's like discussion is had and then task of check with X about Y goes in my personal OmniFocus. Yeah, tool tool wise, I, I agree with you there. That that is the one thing that I don't like about using Wonderlist is, is that feeling of I can't in OmniFocus always have an overview of everything that's occurring because there there's this subset of tasks that have to live somewhere else because they are being worked on by another person, and I I, I don't I don't like that split very much I, w- I would prefer uh if in omnifocus there was a way to say share a list with somebody else and like i understand that's that's not a thing that's probably going to happen but so th- so that is a little bit of a that is a little bit of a downside but yeah I, f- I find like it's the it's the only way to to keep track of that stuff but yeah in theory i would want absolutely everything to be in in one spot and i actually also recommend doing the thing that that you're talking about here of separating out a lot of those smaller tasks and like those reminder tasks in something else. And I have, um, it's, it's actually, uh, over the past few weeks, I used to use do for that, but, but I've actually been migrating a bunch of my little reminders and tasks like take out the trash, do some laundry, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I've been migrating them over to, uh, my old friend to do, uh, and and having taking advantage of some of its little reminder and nagging features to bug me about things at certain oh, wow. intervals. What an interestingly overpowered application for tasks like that. Yeah, it's it's it is comically overpowered for that particular purpose. Uh, and in theory, I should be. <laughs> all of these names are terrible. In theory, I should be using do instead of to do to, to solve this problem, uh, but. <laughs> Because Have of the number, considered three do. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm gonna make an app called You Do. Who do we do? We do the Who Do, right? <laughs> this is all the To Do apps. Uh, but uh, I ran into some problems with Do correctly syncing across my various devices, and so I I was going slowly insane with mm. Do trying to remind me on a whole bunch of different things about like. Did you do the laundry? It's like, yes, I've ticked off on the laundry on four different iPads. I've done it. Like, I've done the laundry. You know, just you don't have to tell me on every single. It was kind of driving me crazy. I could never quite get it to work. Uh, But then I I remembered, like, my old friend to do, uh, ridiculously overpowered, but has rock solid syncing and has better uh, flexible reminders about nag me about this thing every minute or every 15 minutes or every hour and so a lot of those kind of things uh like you know take vitamins i'm moving those little things out of omnifocus and into to do and i I quite like having that division and and that feels quite natural in my head like oh these aren't projects these are just little reminders throughout the day it makes sense to handle them someplace else and to leave the the heavy lifting of project management to omnifocus you know for for where it for where it shines somebody did actually ask us in another ask cortex question like if we use do on different devices i don't do that um for me like i just don't want those things popping up everywhere like for me do is a phone and watch app that's all it is 
Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I could put this task in on my iPad. But mm-hmm. I know that if I put it there, I'll have to have the notifications turned off and the app's kind of going crazy in the background. Like, I don't yeah, want yeah. any of that. So I just I restrict it to phone and watch. And most of the time, I can get the watch to enter the task. Like, right, right. Way more of the time. So, like, I'm, I'm good with that there. I think that's a totally sensible solution. The reason that I don't do that is because I am using the timers of the Do app. That is its primary feature to me. And I want to, on any device at any any time, be able to start like, I am beginning a work unit now. Click 40-minute timer, go. And I, and I love the way that it reminds me, like I can set it with just a banner across the top of the screen to poke me like the timer's up, the timer's up, but it doesn't interrupt me. So that's why like, I want that immediately available on every device at any time. But then it, it like the the syncing of reminders and things can be crazy making. So that's why it's like, oh, here I am. I've got to separate it out. Now I've got like three apps with check marks on my on my uh, system here, you know, for, for managing different kinds of things. But uh, so that that's that's why I went with that solution. A minute ago, you mentioned uh, shared tasks in OmniFocus. Mm-hmm. If anything from history has shown us. No, Mike, Mike. What? I didn't the say The good anything. people, the good people at OmniFocus, they have been so accommodating. I will not let you do what you're about to do. I didn't say anything. Okay, all right. We're not saying anything. I didn't say We're anything. Moving right along. Sam asked, "What RSS readers do you use?" I will ask, "Do you even use one <laughs> anymore?" RSS is dead, man. Oh, okay. Here's the technically my answer is no, I don't use an RSS reader. However, I sort of have an RSS reader in in that there are a very few websites that I do follow and read. But what I have set up is in If This Then That, uh, a trigger that follows those RSS feeds and automatically dumps the articles in Instapaper. So I sort of don't have an RSS reader, but I sort of do because I have a small number of handpicked websites that I want to read what they have. And so like, I guess Instapaper is kind of my RSS reader, but the difference is when I had a proper RSS reader, and speaking of fantastic names, I used Reader, R-E-E-D-E-R, right? As my RSS reader, along with my Do app for timers, when to do, right? <laughs> it's like, guys, come on, like, let's have names. Wonderlist, like, it's a name, it's a thing. People can use it as a word. Um, yeah, no, it's not Wonderlist. It's not Wonderlist, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> the, um, but so when I did have Reader, R-E-E-D-E-R, as my RSS reader, at that stage, I had just tons and tons of, of RSS items for all kinds of things. And I had little sub-smart lists. And you know, I like to be able to blast through a bunch of stuff that I follow that way. It's like, I don't use Instapaper like that at all. I think I have maybe five websites that are automatically dumping articles into Instapaper. And all of those websites, like if they post one thing a week, it's a lot. So it's, it's ridiculously low volume. But so you don't have anything. RSS serves one purpose in my life now, and it's podcasts. That's the the ultimate RSS use is right, for so, podcasting. So Overcast is your RSS reader. That's effectively yes. It's the only application <laughs> that I use. I believe that has any kind of RSS. Um, I you know I still subscribe to uh, Feed Wrangler. Like it's still there, right? Like mm-hmm. I have an RSS thing in the background. I used to use probably Reader. 
um, and Unread as well. I've used those applications in the past. They're, they're fine apps. I just don't read news in this way anymore. So mm-hmm. what I found out was I would find out every article I needed because I read Twitter. Mm. Yeah. Everything I need to see comes through there. Most of the time it's for RSS feeds that I was never subscribed to anyway. Right, like it would be something that came from Bloomberg that I would need to read, but I don't subscribe to Bloomberg's RSS feed because it's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, uh, The Verge, I would want to know their stuff, but in an RSS reader, it's like, oh, here's like fifty things that I don't care about for the one thing that I do. So I follow a bunch of Twitter accounts for um, you know sites that I like to read, including the the blogs of my friends and stuff and the you know it's so like I'll subscribe to Casey Liss's Twitter account I will follow Marco's Twitter account Steven's Twitter account like and I get everything that I need to get that way because mm-hmm. Twitter is just what I read and it's where I get that stuff the mm. uh, the idea of opening up an RSS application and looking at all of the things inside it just doesn't serve a purpose for me anymore yeah I remember when I first signed up for Twitter a while ago. I remember having this feeling like I don't really get Twitter. Like I was having a hard time figuring out like what what purpose does this serve in my life? Like what like what am I exactly going to use this for? But I do remember at some point it dawned on me that, that oh this this is RSS for non nerds. Like th- this is in some ways a much easier RSS like system. Mm-hmm. It's not as complete as RSS, but it's way easier for a normal person to sign up to a Twitter account and follow a bunch of sites that are interesting to them and then be able to log on and see stuff. And I remember that that was the first time that Twitter started to gel for me of like, how do people use this? Why do people use this? And and so, yeah, I, I, I used to think like, oh, Twitter's nothing like RSS. When people say that one has replaced the other, that doesn't make any sense because RSS has all these features. But now it's like, no, no, oh, I think it, it really has. Like, I think Twitter really has supplanted the need for RSS in, you know, 99% of the population that would be using an RSS reader. Joel asked, what fonts do you use on your spreadsheets or any document that requires formatting? <laughs> what? <laughs> What's funny? How, how fantastically specific. I really like this. What font do you use in your spreadsheets? <laughs> I like that he went with spreadsheets first. Yeah, I, well, that, that's what's making me laugh. Is I, I don't I don't know what font I use in my spreadsheet. It's whatever the default one in Numbers is. Bingo. I have, I have right. no idea. If I if I'm using something like a like a Numbers spreadsheet or a Google Docs spreadsheet or whatever, I'll tend to just go with whatever the standard formatting is. Um, in stuff like Google Docs and Quip, like they have a bunch of options. I just choose you know a, a sans serif font that I like the look of. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like if I'm formatting a document for somebody, so mm-hmm. say like an advertising proposal or something, um, I'm partial to Futura, Avenir, and Proxima Nova. Mm-hmm. As fonts that I like to use, I think they're they're nice. Um, a couple of you know, a couple of them actually fit in with the kind of the fonts that we use on our website and stuff like that. And I just like those fonts a lot, so I would format those like for for external documents and stuff. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I tend to just go with the defaults. I'm not a, I appreciate a good looking font, but I'm not a font nerd <laughs> in such a way that I will go out of my way to put a nice font on my like. Google Sheet that tracks some rubbish that nobody else needs to see. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I like the I like the way you phrase that. Like, I'll appreciate a good-looking font when it's walking down the street, you know. But I won't go chase after that. I'll turn my head at a font. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, I'm happy with the fonts that I've got. Doesn't mean I have to go after new fonts. Yeah, that's, that's like that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> you know, I'm a nerd after all. <laughs> um, <laughs> for lots of internal stuff, I, I usually find that the default is fine. You know, like I. I don't really care. I'm, but I'm trying to run through mentally. It's like, but there are places where I am picky about fonts. And I realize I have, I have three things, which is two reading things and writing. And so in my mind, when I'm reading articles and Instapaper, well, that just has to be a sans serif because articles are less serious than a book and a book requires serif fonts. <laughs> It's like, does this make sense? No, it doesn't make any sense at all. But it's totally a thing in my mind. Like, I cannot read this book in sans serif. This book is not being serious enough. And then if Instapaper, when I install it on something new, like if it if for some reason has uh, the, the serif font installed by default, I feel like, oh, come on, who are you kidding, article? You are a serif font, right? You're not putting on all of these airs with these serifs. No, I will only read an article in sans serif font, not serif font, right? So, so that's two places where I do have a preference. Uh, for books, serifs, articles, sans serifs. And then for for writing, it is the one place where I am a little bit picky about the fonts that I use. And I like to write with a good programmer font. So uh, if, I, if I say a font is fixed width, Mike, do you know what that means? Yeah, kind of. I uh, People have explained this to me before. I can't really see the difference in mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff, but I understand what people are saying. Yeah. Right? That all the characters are fixed width apart, right? Right. Is that it? Yeah. This goes back to the olden days of computing and when you could fit characters only in certain places on the screens, like because of the way the programs were written. Or actually what I th- what I think of is is like um the old style notice boards in train stations where they're rolling over a bunch of letters and and to spell out the name of a town that is a place where you would write a a, use a fixed width font because you want all of the letters to be approximately the same width otherwise it'll read strange if on a board that's flipping over letters you have a thin eye that's just floating in the middle of its little box and on one side of it is is like a, a big fat O taking up all the space. Right? It just it looks weird if if they're not all the same size. And for some reason, when I am writing, I I really want a nice fixed width font. And so there are a a whole family of fonts that are designed to to do this for programmers. Because if you are a computer programmer, there are many advantages to being to being able to look at the length of the line that something of something that you have written and knowing approximately how many characters it is, knowing that you can compare the line above to the line below about how many characters are in it. And so uh, for a long time, I have been using uh, Inconsolata is the name of a font that I quite like for um, as a writing font. There's a, there's a few others out there, but if you just... If you're the kind of person who cares about this stuff, if you just Google programmer fonts, you will find there are a bunch of options of different fonts that you can try out that are are nice for this sort of thing. And so on the iPad, for anybody who is wondering, uh, because the iPad has a limited number of fonts, there is an app called AnyFont, 
that will allow you to install a custom font that you can then use in other applications. And so that's how I'm able to get a font like Inconsolata onto my iPad to then use in uh, the writing environment, even if it's not built into the iPad by default. Samuel asked, what kind of headphones do you guys use? Which made me think, are you back to using headphones? Because you remember when you, you took your time away from the internet, you also kind of stopped listening to stuff, right? So you weren't using headphones. I remember when me and you met up that day and you didn't have headphones on and I was very confused. Uh, are you back to using headphones again when you're kind of walking around the town? <laughs> when I'm walking around on the town, I like Looking that. at fonts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have three headphones that I can recommend for very specific purposes. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. <laughs> okay. Big, heavy-duty headphones, which I've mentioned before on the show, are the Bose noise-canceling headphones, which are worth their weight in gold when you are on an airplane and there is a crying baby uh, because their noise-canceling can mute the sound of that baby and and make it like he's sitting way further behind you than he actually is. And those are the headphones that I'm also wearing right now as I record because they're nice and big over-ear headphones. So I think of these as like the heavy-duty headphones. I'm recording a podcast or I am on an airplane trying to artificially create more space between myself and the people around me. They are fantastic. But because they're noise-canceling, they are, I think, a legitimate hazard to ever wear outside. Because if you have them on, you will not hear cars approaching. You will not hear any kinds of warning sounds. Uh, it is very easy to be oblivious with these outside. So I, I cannot recommend them under those circumstances. I strongly believe if you wear noise-canceling headphones outside, it is just a matter of time until you get hit by a vehicle. Yeah, it, it really is. I'm like the. I have done it on a occasion if I'm if like I don't have anything else available to me but the first couple of times I did it and I had them on my head all the way I realized like whoa you cannot do this you have to have one ear open to the world otherwise it is it's like you're just asking to die right it's real it's all you're doing but even with one head with only uh the, only one ear covered I still don't recommend it like you just don't realize how effective they are at making things sound way further away than, than they are not even noticing stuff now the question that you're wanting to know is like my walking around headphones and for those i recommend the jaybird x2 bluetooth headphones mm. they are fantastic they're super small in-ear bluetooth headphones and what i want to recommend to people who get them is You'll see the pictures where people are kind of wearing them dangled around in front of them. But if, if you open the instruction booklet, you get these headphones. People don't notice this, but they have this fancy way to fold them up so that the headphone wire goes behind your head. So you just, you just stick the two headphones in your ears and you can run the wire over the top of your ear and around the back of your head. And those headphones are fantastic. Like I'm not a huge audiophile, so I don't care a lot about these like super high sound quality. Like I can't speak to that. They seem fine from my perspective. But the thing that I love about them is they are ridiculously small. The battery genuinely lasts for a full work day out in the world. And they're really light and they're really comfortable. They take a little while to get used to. Like I, I push these on people. I'm like, no, you got to stick with it. Like you got to try it out. You got to... 
just go with it. It's going to be weird at first, but you're going to like it. Uh, and, and I have yet to fail with convincing someone that if you give these a shot, they are great. And they're especially great for something like the gym. I cannot imagine going into the gym with wired headphones at this point. And to have like a little tiny pair of headphones that you can just put over your ears, it's totally out of the way, totally hands-free. Uh, it is fantastic. Although I am absolutely convinced that the Bluetooth headphones make a significant dent in how long the battery lasts on your phone. And I really wish Apple would show like Bluetooth usage in their little battery drain thing. Because it's like, I, this, I can tell this makes a big difference, but I would love to know how much of a difference, like how much of the battery is the Bluetooth headphone using from the phone. Uh, I don't know. So that's, that is the one downside. Uh, but otherwise, I quite like them. But I have one more wild card recommendation, Mike. Ooh, wild card. My wild card recommendation is a headphone called the Trex Titanium. Have you heard of this? No, I've never heard of this. Why are you laughing already? <laughs> the name sounds weird, so I expect it's going to be really weird. These are Bluetooth headphones. What on earth? <laughs> they are not over-ear headphones like the Bose noise cancelling. They are not in-ear headphones like the Jaybird headphones. They are outside of your ear through the bone on the side of your head These headphones. bone vibration type things, right? Right, yeah. So this, this comes from, the, there's a demonstration that I used to do as a physics teacher with kids, which may, you may or may not have ever done this, listener, this may or may not have ever done this in school. But with tuning forks, that was fantastic to really freak out kids sometimes because some kids reacted like really poorly to this, uh, which is great. You take a tuning fork, right, and you strike it so it makes a little noise. And then you pull up like it's a magic class of volunteer from the audience, right? Like, come up. And you take the tuning fork and you put it against the side of the kid's head, sort of by the ear, <laughs> just in front of it. And what happens is the subjective experience goes from I am hearing a sound that is coming out from the outside of my head to I am hearing something that is originating from inside of my head. Right. So, suddenly your brain has a hard time placing where the sound is coming from. And for some people, it places the source of the sound as in the center of your skull, which freaks some people really out badly. With like, the tuning fork's in my head. Like, what? You, I know it's like, no, no, it's just on the side of your it's head. It's coming from inside <laughs> the head. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you think about the way your brain works, right, you are able to place where sounds are in the world. And, th and this effect of vibrating the bone that's in your head your brain can interpret it as the source of the sound is located in the center of your skull, which is not normally a place that you hear sounds emanating from. So some people react really weirdly to it. Uh, but the Trex Titanium headphones reproduce that effect a little bit of creating a source of sound that feels to some extent like it is coming from inside your head. It is not coming from outside of your head. Now, the interesting thing about these headphones is that they leave your ears free. There's nothing blocking your ears even when you're just wearing it over your head. And so the reason that I have these headphones is because when my work office starts filling up with a bunch of people, I don't want to be playing loud thunder soundstorms and music uh, in this environment. So I do want to put on headphones, but I also want to hear myself speak. So I got these headphones because they don't block the ears. And so I can still hear music or hear thunder sounds 
and also very clearly hear myself talking while I'm, I'm working on a script and, and writing a script. So these headphones are, are very, very strange. Yeah, I'm sure the uh, look of these headphones definitely uh, don't add to the whole weirdness of the scenario that you're in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's also wearing his crazy future visor too. That's good to know. <laughs> it doesn't. These things don't really occur to me until you say them, Mike. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I can see this. <laughs> this is why you need me in your office. No, I do not need you in my office. But so anyway, these, these headphones are they're they're very interesting. They're very they different. Are. But but this is going to be one of those things. What I, I mentioned it as the wild card of you're either going to love it or you're not going to like it at all. Um, but but like you may be a person for which this sounds like exactly the thing you want. I really want to try these. I, I do really want to try these. This is because I've never experienced that before. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I, re- if I really want to 110 pounds try them. Right. Next time, next time we meet up, I'll, I'll remind me to bring them along. Mm-hmm. And I'll bring along the headphones. You'll try the headphones. We'll do the spreadsheet thing, just like I promised. I haven't forgotten, Mike. We'll do that. Uh, and, and so you can, you can try out these various things. The, the app, one of the applications that they mentioned on their website, which I think is really interesting, is for uh, blind people. That this, this allows, if you are blind, oh, yeah. for you to be able to listen to a source of audio while not blocking the primary way that you know where you are in the world, right? Of hearing what's going on around you. Basically, so you can listen to music without sensory deprivation. Exactly, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, it, it, it's one of those things, like it would never have occurred to me, but it's like, yes, this is, this is, this is a fantastic feature if you are blind. Like the, the, these are the headphones you never knew that you wanted and must be amazing to use. Uh, and so it's like, I happen to have a particularly narrow use case for how I want to use these things, but I can see where they're useful to other people as well. And if anybody uses these, I'd be quite curious to know, like, why would you want to use them or or like, what do you see? Because I, I just kind of wonder, like, how many people buy them or how big is the market? Who who else has a need for these? But I, but I really like them and, and I found myself using them much more than I anticipated that I that I would. So uh, I quite like them. Some people might really hate them and, and deeply dislike the the sound is coming from the inside of my head effect. So my uh, headphone picks are nowhere near as interesting. Um, oh, you should have gone first, Mike. I know. You should have gone first. Tell me about your boring headphones. I, know. I use earpods, the Apple earpods, quite a lot because I always had them in my pocket. So like I. Oh my god, could it be more boring? Minimum viable <laughs> headphone at all times. Uh, I have sent a pair of Sennheiser MM four hundred X stereo Bluetooth on ear headphones. Um, mm-hmm. They have physical controls on the side that I really like, so I can play and pause stuff. They do not sound good at all. That's the Marco recommendation, isn't it? Yes, there is a theme with all of my headphone things here. Okay. The, the theme is Marco Arment. <laughs> the, theme, the theme is somebody else told you to buy them. Yep, literally he did. Whilst I was in his house, he was like, "Get put them in my hands. So I was like, they're the ones you need to buy. And he's right, because mm-hmm. they're good for podcast listening. They're terrible for music. Uh, but mm-hmm. they have the physical buttons on the side, which which are really good. Um, I really don't like two things about headphones. I don't like in-ear and I don't mm-hmm. like noise cancelling. For some reason, in-ear headphones never stay in my left ear. doesn't matter what type, they will never stay in my left ear. And noise mm-hmm. cancelling makes me feel nauseous. Yeah, yeah, the noise cancelling does have that effect on some people of, of not feeling great. I, th- I think it might be an offshoot of motion sickness. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, it, if it's something like that. Although I, I am... Uh, 
increasingly susceptible to motion sickness, but the, the, the noise canceling doesn't bother me. But yeah, some people just react very poorly to it. They don't like it at all. The headphones that I am wearing right now, my recording headphones, are the Bayer Dynamic DT7 Centi... DT7... DT7... <laughs> Come on, man. You can do it. <laughs> Come on. Come on. I think I can. I think I can. The, Bay- the Bayer Dynamic DT770 Pro Headphones 32 Ohm. Wow. Sounds pretty serious. They were put on my head in Marco's house. <laughs> right. Okay. And Continuing the theme. I listened to some music and I heard things in the music I'd never heard before. Mm-hmm. I only use these to record. They are incredibly good at letting me hear things in the audio that, that I want to hear. And they are very comfortable for me to wear for multiple hour stretches a day. Which So the, they are my recording headphones. Right. That, that's a requirement for you. The one thing I don't like about these is the cable. I really like it when the cable is coiled because it stays out of the way more. This isn't. Um, I don't like the cable on these, but everything else is fantastic. Um, I have some pair of Bose headphones that I bought in an airport a long time ago that I use for airport travel just because they cover my ears, so it's the closest that I can get. They're not great. I don't necessarily recommend them, but they do that job. I've had my eye on the uh, Bang & Olufsen H6 second generation, another Mm -hmm. Marco pick, and a few (laughs) of my friends have bought them, and I've tried them, and they're amazing. But I only use headphones like this when I travel, and I just haven't. I haven't felt the desire to spend a few hundred pounds on these yet. Whenever mm-hmm. my current traveling headphones like bite the dust, this is probably what I will, what I will go ahead and buy. There's just something I have my eye on, but I just haven't I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, just because the use case is so is so slim, and the ones that I have really do the job that I need them to do. To be honest, mm-hmm. but yeah, they're my headphones. Nowhere near as exciting. All as right, yours. Mike. Uh, I hate to interrupt you there, but we have to go, and we have to go right now. Oh no! Gotta go. Got <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you, adorable MacBook. <laughs> <laughs>